Welcome to another episode of Open Stride Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank y'all for joining in. I appreciate all the listeners that have been tuned in over these last couple days, man. We've been pushing out a lot of content, and it's definitely appreciative that y'all are taking the um, time out to listen. So I definitely see the numbers, and I appreciate it. But, man, without further ado, I just want to introduce my guest. Uh, it's been a minute since he's he been on, but actually, it's been a minute since he's been on. But if you've been listening, he was on like two episodes ago, so... I just post so a few and far between sometimes, but so my man Xavier McKnight, the X Factor, is in the house. X, how you doing? Good, bro. It's always good to be here, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you having me on. No problem, man. So I just I had to bring you on because one, you, you got you got the insight. You know, you know, you, you know your sports. I'm not going to never discredit you and say you don't know your sports. We may not always disagree, but one thing I do know. If you have a stance, you're going to have facts, opinions, and data to back it up. It's just not nothing you're throwing from your hips. So that's why I always, that's why I never just discredit what you, when we disagree, I never just discredit it because I know it's coming from some source of information. But one thing I can say is that when Kevin Durant blew, got swept in the first round, I feel like there was no disagreement across the board between me and you. We both was like, yeah, it's time to cook this man. <laughs> it's time to cook this man. So I'm just I'm not even gonna hold you back because um I kind of spoke about it already myself, but I just want to hear your thoughts on it. So just to give people the backstory that haven't been watching and, and come to uh, open trial for all your sports updates, don't worry, we got you. Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets were entered to into the season as uh one of the favorites, top three favorites to make it to the NBA finals and win the championship. They made it to the playoffs. It's a play-in game, um, getting in as the seventh seed. Uh, they dealt with a lot of injuries throughout the season. James Harden jumped ship and went to Philly. Um, Kyrie could not play because he didn't want to take the vaccine. He came back uh, midway, not even midway, like 30% of the way through the, uh, to play the rest of the season. And Kevin Durant went down with an injury for a couple of weeks. So they dealt with a lot. And dealing with all that, they were still able to get into the playoffs as the seventh seed to get matched up against the um, Boston Celtics. And a lot of people still pick the Brooklyn Nets to beat the Boston Celtics. Going into that playoff matchup, Vegas still had Brooklyn favorite to make it to the NBA Finals on top of all that. So just discrediting the Celtics as a whole and giving Brooklyn supreme credit, maybe because of Kevin Durant, maybe because of Kyrie. I'm not sure. So after all that said and done, Brooklyn got swept. And if we're being honest, the games weren't that close. By score, they were close. But in my opinion, I'm going to let X go ahead and take the mic after this. But in my opinion, the games were not close just by feel. Like, it never felt to me that Celtics did not have the game in their hand. The only game that was like, that was like, okay, they may lose was game one. But after game one, even though they lost, the, even though they only won the um, game four by one point or two or three points, it just, I just, throughout the whole, even when Brooklyn went on their run, I just felt like, Celtics still go win. Even when Jason Tatum went out and fouled and he fouled out, in my in my I just still felt like, yeah, everything going in um Boston, in Brooklyn favor, but I just feel like Boston still is in control somehow. And they end up pulling out and pulling out the sweep. So with all that backstory, X, I don't have anything else to say. I just want to give the mic to you and let you give your breakdown of um this whole conundrum of the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant. So you're absolutely right when you say it felt like the games weren't close. People who just watch the games and they just see 
the box score. They're just watching for the score. They don't really know what to watch for in basketball matchups. And I'm not trying to sit here and say that these people don't know anything about basketball, but they don't know the intricate details to watch for. Like we sat here and we watched these games play by play, dribble by dribble, and the Celtics were the better team all the way around. It was the first half of game one where Brooklyn was mainly in control. But up until that point, it was Boston controlling the series. Just from the ball movement on offense, how they were putting the clamps on everybody on defense, they had guys literally scared to shoot. And that's what's so disappointing about this whole thing being a sweep. Now, before I go into the Brooklyn side of things, I've been trying to tell you guys for the past couple of months about the Celtics. I've been telling you that this is a team that's been flying under the radar. There's some team, they're a team to watch. And I wasn't just saying that because Jason Tatum was out here having 51 point and 48 point games. I was watching how the Celtics were playing as a whole. I was watching how they were playing defense. And I've been watching how the team's been playing from Christmas all the way until now. They have bought into everything that Ime Udoka, the head coach, who I don't know if you agree with me on this. To me, that's the head coach. To me, that's the coach of the year. Because of how quick the turnaround was, because they started out the season the end of November. I don't even believe they were in play-in contention at the end of November. And they ended the season as the second seed in the East, but he totally changed the identity of the team. And you look at some of the things that they've been trying to get right for the past couple of years. I'll, I'll just take it back five years since Isaiah Thomas, IT, was there. They've been trying to get that point guard position right since that period. They traded for Kyrie. It obviously didn't work out there. They brought in Kimball Walker. It could have worked, but I believe injuries prevented that from happening. Dennis Schroeder, that felt like a reach. And the whole time they had the guy right there, Marcus Smart. And you just look at that core of guys that they have right there. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and I'm even going to throw Al Horford in the mix. I know he had a couple of years where he was away from the team. He had left to go to Philly, left to go play in OKC. And he looked done. But I mentioned him as part of that core because he's been an intricate part of that team for the better part of the last five years. When they made that run in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2018, he was there. When they had the playoff run in 2019, he was there. He wasn't there in 2020 or 2021, but he came back this year, and Al Horford looked far from done. So let's just give the Celtics their props, let's give them their credit, and we're going to talk about them a little bit later on here because they got a big playoff series coming up. And, to follow this. and before you before you go into your spill on the Nets, I just want to – I didn't even bring that up, so I'm glad that you did. And I will say, X was – let me let me see how I can say this. You were ready to give Jason Tatum his credit way before I was. I would say that. For me, I, and, I, and like I said, people, I get my takes and I just say how I feel. And um, if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I, I can stand on and say I was wrong. And for the longest, I have been wrong on Jason Tatum. For me, I looked at Jason Tatum, and I was looking at a player that I thought could never be considered to be a top five player. Not saying he's top five now, but I see top five in him. X was one of the ones that said he was top ten this season. Before the season, it was like you said that before the season started, right, or during the season. I said I said top fifteen. I didn't want to go top ten necessarily that high with it yet. Because we still had other stars in the game like Kawhi and Dame and all of them. Yeah. But you know I have a rule, too. When those guys are fighting serious injuries, to me, you have to eliminate them from the conversation. Because you don't know how they're going to come back. Yeah, exactly. And that and that was my thing. Uh, uh, I said the same thing to uh, 
one of my friends. I said certain players push top five just based, like Giannis was top five, no, regardless who was in the league. LeBron was top mm-hmm. five regardless who was in the league. KD, Kawhi, they top five regardless who was in the league. Some players end up being top five, top ten when those players that's currently there get older and fall out. Like James Harden, he's falling out of the top ten because he's an older player. So now it leaves rooms for those younger players to move in. They don't just force their way into the top ten just based on their tier talent. Those those current current guys in those spots have to fall out. Then once they fall out, then those guys like Jason Tanner can move up. But what I was going to say was you made a good point about um, the moves the Celtics make. That was – I don't know if you remember, if the, if the listeners remember, when Brad Stevens got moved from the coaching spot to the GM spot and they uh, fired Danny Ainge and they hired um, the, the new head coach, the first two moves Brad Stevens made was to give Marcus Smart his extension and bring back Al Holford. Both moves – people thought were bad decisions. Because I remember when he signed Marcus Smart, it was rumors that him and Marcus Smart didn't even get along. So it was like, why the hell would you give your team? And like you just said, they end up moving all those point guards out the way and said, Marcus Smart, we're going to make you our point guard and you're going to lead this team on the, from the point guard position. And they gave him the ball. And every and people from the outside was like, why would you, why would you give Marcus Smart that money and – Get rid of all your other point guards because they had like three or four different point guards. And on top of that, they bought back Al Horford, and people was just like, "Why would you bring back Al Horford? He's washed. He didn't. He got he got benched in OKC, and he 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 owe you owe him a lot of money if you bring him there. So why bring him back to your team knowing that he's a done player? I was one of those people that said it. I'm not even gonna lie. I thought Al Horford was washed. I thought he was done. I did too. I thought Al Horford was washed. I didn't think the Marcus Smart move was a bad move though, because when you have players that are homegrown within your organization and they continue to get better and better and better, you want to do the best that you can to possibly take care of them. There are some organizations out there that can take notes by what the Celtics have done with these homegrown stars. Because think about how many times they could have traded all of those young pieces away and went and got an Anthony Davis or went and got a Kawhi Leonard or Paul George was even in the mix at one point. And to those teams that didn't do what they need to do to push those trades through, they're probably looking back on it now. Like we, we probably should have pulled the plug on that, but I don't want to say it's clear now that Danny Ainge was the problem. I'll just say it's clear now that Danny Ainge's voice in that front office was getting stale. I don't want to say he was the problem because he did bring a championship to the organization as an executive and as general manager, even though that was all the way back in 2008. But I just believe his voice was getting stale and how he wanted to go about doing things. Because if you look at how Brad Stevens has built the team, and if you look at how Danny Ainge built those teams, it's definitely a core difference. And I believe Brad Stevens built the team based on how he initially wanted to build it anyway. Remember, I don't believe Brad Stevens even wanted to get rid of Isaiah Thomas. I believe that was solely a Danny Ainge move. Isaiah was one of the core pieces to building of the foundation of what the Celtics were building there. And they had something special that they were building there. Now, you know, we'll just have to see what's going to continue to happen with this, but it's been a nice gradual maturation process with it. And patience is key. That's, that's something that people and other organizations can learn from this whole Celtics experiment. Patience is key. 
No, I agree one hundred percent. I like you said, getting the homegrown players, develop development of players is such a big thing in the NBA in all sports that everybody wants the microwave already finished made player, and you just don't get that. You gotta be willing to invest in the developmental aspect of the players because if you don't and you already want that player to come in to be that player you think he should be or she should be you're going to be proven wrong every time but if you look at the organization like you said organizations like the heat organizations like um, the bucks organizations like the celtics like organizations like the um golden state warriors like the teams that draft and develop those players they draft always end up consistently being on top they may not always win the championship every year but they always in the mix of things. They never just out. They never just always. Who, who's the big superstar we can sign in the free agency? Who's the big player, home run draft pick we can hit? They say no. We go work with what we got. If we got a 15 pick, we go get that. We go get the best 15 pick in that draft, and we go build him up or her up to, to make them who they we want them to be. But yeah, that's all I wanted to add on the sector ball. Like I said, I didn't even. In, include that in the conversation with us today because I didn't think about that, but you just sparked my mind with that. So I'm going to throw it back to you so you can go ahead and talk on the um, Brooklyn Nets like you were about to. So as far as the Nets go, it's disappointing for a lot of reasons. Number one, um, it's Kevin Durant and it's Kyrie Irving. These are supposed to be two of the top players in the world, two of the best offensive players we've ever seen in NBA history. And I'm going to do my best to keep emotions out of this. But what's very clear to me now is that I knew Kyrie Irving really wasn't that guy that everybody thought he was as far as being a one. And I need to retract something I said earlier this year. I didn't say it on this platform, but I've said it in other places. As you know, I have called Kyrie Irving a six foot two Kobe Bean Bryant. I would like to take this time to apologize (laughs) for my sins And please just ask for forgiveness from everybody for spewing that ludicrous, that just that blasphemy out of my mouth on that. He is not of that art. He is not of that ilk. He is not on that level. He is still a phenomenal offensive player. But the one thing that I forgot about when it came to Kobe, Kobe gave it everything he had on the defensive side as well. And There wasn't anything defensively that Kyrie could do in this series. The only time I saw I've ever seen Kyrie honestly motivated to play defense is when he was motivated to lock up James Harden when the Brooklyn Nets traveled to see the Sixers back in March. Their first time playing against each other since the Harden trade went down. He put the clamps on him that night. But a lot of people are putting the clamps on Harden these days. So clearly Harden's not the same player, and I don't want to take anything away from Kyrie's night that night, but... Ever since the game where he gave the fans the middle finger behind the head, gave the fans middle finger after making a jumper, uh, said some other things to the fans as well. Not that they didn't deserve it, because they definitely did. Boston fans can be ruthless. He didn't show up to play anymore in the series after that game. And Kevin Durant didn't have a good game, honestly, until game four. You can look at KD's numbers and say, oh, well, he had 20 here or he had 23 here, 27. No, 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 no. There are these things that we call empty stats, empty calories, and that's what those were because those were 23 and 27-point games that felt like 13 and 17-point games at best. His 39-point game on 
Monday night, that felt like a KD virtuoso performance. But I don't know what took so long for him to figure it out, to be quite honest with you. And I'm going to tell you why I give Steve Nash a pass compared to other people. Matt, what did KD and Kyrie say just two months after Steve Nash was hired? What did they go on a podcast and say? They both basically sat there and said, we don't really need I would say they both, they, they said, they said we, I can coach, Kyrie, this Kyrie, I can coach, KD can coach. We don't necessarily need a head coach is what he said. And KD signed off on that by also following up and saying, and some nights Jock Vine can coach. That, that, that was the Brooklyn Nets interim head coach for those who don't know when they fired Kenny Atkinson a guy who had been sitting on NBA sidelines for years as an assistant coach, learning how to properly be a coach. So I believe he was already still more fit for the job than Steve Nash is due to the experience he has. And if you want to know how important that experience is, just look at what Ime Udoka is up there doing in Boston right now. He sat at the side of Greg Popovich for years in San Antonio before actually taking a head coaching job and probably being offered a good head coaching job to go take compared to these crappy jobs like Orlando and places like that. So having that experience before becoming a head coach, is it's important. We look at Willie Green right now in New Orleans. He's a young guy. But Willie Green sat at the side of Steve Kerr in Golden State and the side of Monty Williams in Phoenix. He had great teachers along the way. And he also played within the Clippers organization, too, when Doc Rivers was the head coach there. And Ty Lue was on that sideline, too, I believe. Like, he's had great teaching all the way around. So coaching is definitely important. But Kevin Durant in 2019 literally came out to the media after Patrick Beverly was giving him trouble in a first-round series. And he said, you know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant. Y'all know who I am. And during that time period, he proceeded to go on to put on some great virtuoso performances. He was also playing alongside Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and at the time, DeMarcus Cousins as well. And even though Boogie was not the Boogie that he once was in Sacramento, he was still drawing attention. We saw that. And one thing about Golden State They are masters at ball movement and spacing the floor. There's a viral pic that is going around on Twitter right now showing KD being wide open in the corner while Steph and Clay are drawing all five defenders on them and KD is literally wide open. How do you you leave Kevin Durant that wide open when you have an arsenal like that to play with as well? So I say all that to say KD is not the guy that we thought he was. And I don't know what took me so long to come to this point because we have the evidence there to prove it. It goes back to 2013 when you think about it. Remember that second round series with Memphis and OKC? Mm -hmm. Russ couldn't play in that series because of him tearing his MCL because of what happened with him and Patrick Beverly in that first round series with him. That went low on him when you were trying to call a timeout. And let me go back to that series against Houston. They actually had trouble closing that Rockets team out, too. And it was simply just James Harden on that team that was really a threat. They didn't have Dwight Howard yet. Uh, Patrick Beverly was not known for any offense. Um, Chandler Parsons had not come of age yet either. So it literally was like just James Harden. I remember. And they came very close to pushing that thing to a game seven. You get to Memphis – 
and this is why I keep pointing out Memphis. That Memphis team made it to the Western Conference Finals. But Matt, which player on the Memphis Grizzlies that year averaged at least 20 points per game? I don't think any of them averaged 20 points per game. I know Mark Gasol won Defensive Player of the, of the Year that year. Zebo was a problem down low in the post, but they were known for their defense. Zebo, Mark Gasol, uh, Tony Allen. Mike Conley may have been their best offensive player, but he he wasn't averaging 20. So it's like you don't have those stone-cold offensive killers on that team, but KD was supposed to be a stone-cold offensive killer, and somehow he did not get the job done against them because – and. What I don't understand that he didn't learn from that was, yo, man, get in the gym and start lifting weights. Like, you can go in there and you can do all the shooting drills, all the running, all of that stuff you want to do. But if you can't go down low and handle the physical contact and be able to bang with the bodies down low, you're not going to be able to be effective in the post. And we saw that in this series with the Celtics as well. They kept him out on the perimeter. They put the clamps on him. And he didn't even think to go in the paint where Daniel Tice and Al Horford were. And when Robert Williams came back in the series where he was either. So it's like there was nothing that was learned from that time period. And I'm like, okay, that was all the way back in 2013. And although he had great numbers last year against Milwaukee, it's like you didn't get that done either. And that Milwaukee team had not won a championship yet. That's that's honestly what I feel like what uh... – Kind of got everybody fooled. Now I ain't gonna say KD's ex or me are not saying that KD's not talented. Like KD's one of the most talented players to ever grace the NBA. He's probably gonna be go down as one of the top. And I think the conversation of him being the greatest scorer of our time is dead. We gotta kill that. Yeah, that's so yeah. We gotta kill that conversation, y'all. I, I mean, I'm me ex in y'all generation, and and I'm always an advocate for players that are great. To be in my generation, because I like to advocate for my generation overall. But I can't, I, I can't say that he'll better score than Michael Jordan. I just can't. I just can't. No. I just can't. Like I, at one point, he had me for when KD was coming to the league, coming up. I'm, I, I was looking at him, seven foot, can got the handle, got the shot, got the, like all that, Pat, all that. I said, I said, dog, he may be the greatest score of all, the most talented, greatest score of all time. But Michael Jordan, he, he not, he not Mike. He not Mike. Am I didn't KD not even KD not even a better scorer. Than I was Kobe. just I, I was just about to say he's not even Kobe. Let's be honest, he's not even Kobe. And and if we want to just go down the line, like if we, I know we talk if we talking skill, yeah, he got all the skills. But we just talking Trey get buckets, Kareem too. So so KD and we not piling on KD. It's just that one thing I noticed about KD man, and um and it, and it's weird. It's like. He always going clapping back on Twitter, going and calling out media heads, calling out fans and stuff like that. One thing I noticed about KD, bro, he he doesn't like to be held accountable to the standards of greatness. He's like he wants, I, and I'm not saying he wants the accolades. I'm just saying, from me looking outside, looking in, I feel like he wants all the accolades, but he wants none of the responsibilities of being great. So he wants all the privileges, but none of the responsibilities for those privileges that he get. So he, of course. He wants you to. He wants you to say, like he great. He the greatest player of all time. He this. He did. But when you hold him to the standard of being a great player, when he come up short, that's when he got a problem. So when he go out and and and, and get swept by uh, the Boston Celtics, and people are saying like, okay, let's look at this in a legacy standpoint. 
um, LeBron James, uh, Kobe Bryant, Shaq, Michael Jordan, like Stephon Curry. Like when they start look, we, we, we at some point we got to put Giannis in that conversation. Giannis onto the Kumpo. Like so, when they look at that, and that's when he get mad. Like ah, yada yada yada, don't 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 do that, don't do that, yada yada. I just want to hoop. I just want to hoop. But it's like when you can compare to the greatness like that. Like sometimes it come down to nitpicking. Sometimes it come down to nitpicking, and sometimes I don't think that's what I think. KD has a problem with. He don't like to be critiqued. Don't think about it. You bringing up history. Think back when he was in OKC. When the when the um OKC um Herald or whatever the main paper is in OKC wrote a wrote a headline talking about how he failed in the, in the playoffs. He literally made the the newspaper retract the story just because he didn't like the headline. That's how protective he was, and and like I said, he just it's just I, I think Katie's one of the greatest players of all time. I think he one of the greatest players of our generation. I think he one of the greatest scores in NBA history. But when it come down to like all time greats, I just feel like he falls short in that category, especially when you talking about top ten all time. I just feel like he falls short in that category, and that's no knock against him because some of the greatest players of all time are not in the top ten. Dwayne Wade. You know what I'm saying? Like players right. like that. Like Dwayne Wade is love, but he's not in the top ten. So I just feel like he just falls short. But it's just that he's so talented. You just you just look at it like, man, what if? What if? What if he would have did this? Or what if he would have had that mentality? Or what if? Or what if he was like more like Kobe? He, he probably been the greatest player of all time. But he everybody not gifted with everything. That's just that's just life. So yeah, I definitely agree with your point on Kevin right. Durant. And to your point about players who are loved but may not necessarily be top 10, Dwayne Wade had heart. Allen Iverson had heart. These dudes had heart. You wouldn't see these dudes scared to run away from the ball and scared to shoot the ball. That was the part that was the most disappointing part of this in the series for me. Like, there were points where KD actually looked spooked, like he saw a ghost and like he wanted no parts of this. And it, the most evident part of for me was game three when he only shot the ball 11 times. Yeah. That, I agree with you 100% on that. It's like, and I'm glad you brought up Allen Iverson, bro. Like, Allen Iverson, if people don't know, Allen Iverson is my favorite player all time over everybody. Allen Iverson, bro, went up against Goliath and Shaq and Kobe in the apex. They was whooping teams' ass. Like, he went up against them. And Allen Iverson wanted to win that series. And he told um, Stephen A. reporting on this. He said, I'm going to at least get you one. He said, I'm going to at least. He said, I don't care what y'all say. Y'all can say I'm going to get swept. Y'all can say they're going to blow me out. I don't care what y'all. He said, I'm going to at least get you one. And that's the heart that X is talking about. Like, yeah, you overmatch. And I ain't going to say. So he's not really overmatched by the Celtics. I'm just using this example. But, yeah, you overmatch. Yeah, they got more talent than you. Yeah, they got more. They out coaching y'all, but you being you, who you are with the heart you have, you going out there like nah, I'm gonna get something. Like I'm not going out like that. Like I'm gonna go out swinging if anything. And a lot of players just don't have that mentality. Like like Al Robinson, bro. Like he was like, bro, y'all can say whatever y'all want to about the, the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe at their apex, like one of the greatest teams of all times. Shaq, that Shaq and Kobe team. AI looked them in the eye, and they was on the way of sweeping the whole playoff. They swept round one, round two, the Western Conference playoff. They first loss came in the NBA Finals against Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson said, I'm not going out like that. And that's that's exactly what I feel like X is talking about. And to add more context to this, 
to support the point even more. KD is basically seven feet tall. He's a seven-foot sniper, basically. Allen Iverson was barely six feet tall and didn't really weigh a good 165 pounds when he was playing in the league and was doing stuff like that. It's like, it's what's in you, man. It's like you either have it or you don't. And I don't want to say that KD and Kyrie don't have it, but for that series, they didn't. Yeah, I agree. So just just to kind of move off the KD point and kind of switch uh, shift to the Kyrie point, and like if you were the the head coach or the GM or the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, what what is what would you do with Kyrie Irving? Are you moving him? Are you signing him? Are you keeping him on? A, I know the popular thing is a one year deal. Are you going to go ahead and give him the five years but reduce the max and not give him the max? Like what is your like what would you do? Going into the next season, 2022-2023 season, you the GM of the Brooklyn Nets, you have that roster. What is your what is your thinking with Kyrie? Knowing that the 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 um the mandate of him playing is lifted in New York now, so he can play all season long, but still with all those other variables involved, what are you doing with Kyrie moving forward? This is a tough one because if he didn't have a player option that he could opt into going into next year and he was solely just on a year deal where he came back to the team, you know what I'd do as an executive. i trade him. And I've already thrown out some scenarios, I believe, and if I haven't, I'll throw them out here. But he has an option to opt into his $36 million player option deal. Do I think he's going to do that? No, he's not that type of dude. I don't. He, he's going to try to get the bag as much as he possibly can and he should, like, get your money. But you know I've had my battles with Stephen A. Smith about this whole Kyrie thing in particular. But what Stephen A. said on Sunday is something I can't disagree with. When he said, because of what Kyrie has been going to the post-game press conference and saying. Saying things like, oh, Kevin, I will manage the franchise with Sean and Joe. Like, like what are you talking about? They're saying, oh, well, the Celtics have had time to jail since Christmas, and we haven't really had the time to jail yet. Well, time out. Kyrie, you're, you're a big reason for that. Now, I stand with you as far as, you know, controlling your own body and not letting anybody tell you what to do with your own body, but you can't come out here and come to the podium and say things like that, knowing that a big reason the team wasn't able to jail was because you weren't allowed to be around them most of the time. Like, come on now. And what Stephen A. said on Sunday about not ever giving Kyrie a long-term deal, I have to agree with because he does have a history of not showing up to work for whatever reason. He didn't show up to work at some point last year because of the Capitol riots that were happening. And he said that was having an effect on him. You know, just different things like that. And it's like Kyrie loves basketball, I do believe. I don't want to say that he doesn't want to play the game. But he's also a dude that, to me, comes across as he loves having time off from work, too. He finds excuses to be able to deal with it. And if I'm Brooklyn, if I can get him to opt into that player option and I don't have to give him a long-term deal, I trade him. I'm going to throw two trade scenarios out to you. The first one is I get on the phone with Portland, and I call and I see what's going on with Damian Lillard. And I believe Portland would take this deal because they're in a rebuilding situation right now anyway with all those young guys they have. Even with a healthy Damian Lillard coming back next year, do you see Portland being in the playoffs next year? I don't. I don't either. So I call and I see what's going on with that. 
My second scenario is one that a lot of people probably haven't thought about. What if you get on the phone and call the Sacramento Kings and see what it would take to get De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis? You can't just get one of them. You got to get both of them because Sabonis takes care of what you don't have in the perimeter on both sides of the ball right now. He takes care of that part of things. But we've been hearing all this time De'Aaron Fox is under the radar. He's flying under the radar. He's this and he's that. All right, let's give him a chance to actually go to a winning situation. Hey, no no cap. Uh, Getting De'Aaron Fox out of Sacramento and getting him to an elite contender would be crazy because he is talented as hell and slept on. Like you said, he's under the radar. But, man, that would be – like I wanted wanted Philly to go get him – for Ben Simmons at one point, but they decided they wanted to wait out, hold out for um, Harden, and um, instead and go, and go Harden over Fox. But man, Fox is—he talented. He's ultra talented, and I believe he just needs a chance to get to a better situation because I mean, the Sacramento Kings aren't going to do anything. Not with this current ownership. Not with this current management. They just, to me, they need to pack up ship and they need to move that team back. They need to move that team to Seattle and rebrand it as the Supersonics, the new Sonics, whatever they have to do. Do something possible to get a new ownership. I don't know. But as long as he's there, he will not have a chance to do this. And I don't want his career to end up being like DeMarcus Cousins' career went. DeMarcus Cousins spent all those years in Sacramento carrying a losing franchise that made mistake after mistake after mistake. And it's not like they didn't have a chance to be successful at one point. Remember at one point, Mike Malone was the head coach. And they fired him. He actually had respectable basketball, but they fired him because they started losing while DeMarcus Cousins was out injured for a few games. like, then, like, I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to get on my uh, Sacramento Kings soapbox, but, bro, they fired Mike Malone. Then... They hired Luke Walton. Not saying right after, but they hired at one point. They hired Luke Walton before he could get out the Lakers facility. Like he was just so sought after by the NBA. Like people was knocking down Luke Walton's door. And the thing about it, even if people was knocking down Luke Walton's door, you should have never hired him. Like, bro, he literally got fired by the Lakers. And before he can get out of Los Angeles, he was hired by the Sacramento Kings. And he was a disaster. It's just. Like you said, that's just a bad situation. I know we're not talking this. We got to do another episode one day about defunctional organizations, and that can be that could probably be an hour long conversation. It might be two hours long because I can go on about the Sacramento Kings for days, honestly, and the list of mistakes that they've made, along with the list of things that they actually did right that they somehow effed up. Exactly. But also, but, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was about to say, I was about to add on to your career. But there's also another player in this piece I would see if I could get to. If they're not willing to give up some bonus, why not see if you can get a good veteran like Harrison Barnes to come over? Harrison Barnes was actually a good player for the Sacramento Kings this season. Is he somebody that can carry your franchise? No. But you know what I see Harrison Barnes being able to come over to Brooklyn and do if they can get him? Be exactly what Jeff Green was for them last year, except he'll be more durable and he'll be younger. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And Harrison Barnes is a winner. I know he had his fallout in that seven, that uh, that seven three nine team when they when the Cavs came back and beat him, and when he couldn't hit anything, he was like he couldn't hit anything in that series. And I know, and I know, um, Sacramento kind of they gave him the bag. Like you said, 
he's not the guy to be that guy. Like if you bring him to your team, it, it kind of remind me of my Houston Rockets when we when we signed Trevor Ariza from the Rock, I mean from the um, Lakers, and we signed him to be that guy. And when they did I, when they did, I was just like, bro, he not that guy. But if you want him to be a complimentary piece to a championship team, he can stride in that road. But if you give him the ball and say lead us to the promised land or just lead us to the playoffs, you give you you setting yourself up for false hope. And I feel like Harrison Barnes can be that guy for the Brooklyn Nets, like you said. But like you said, with the Kyrie situation, it's a sticky situation. Um, if I if I was him, like you said, knowing him, he's going to opt out and and expect that he should get a, a five year deal. But if I was him, I opt in that contract, play one more year in Brooklyn, see how things go, show them that you're committed to them and you want to play for them and that you can show up and play every day. Then maybe after that, you can you can get a long term deal. So it's really a slippery slope, even if Kyrie plays every game next season, because he has a track record of doing this that goes back a couple of years now. It's like when Stephen A said he never give him a long term deal. You know I don't like to agree with that dude, but I have to agree with him on that. Yeah, yeah, same, same. It's like, it's like I said, that, that's his best chance in doing it. But like you said, it's still slippery slope. Like even if he go out there and prove it, they may they may look at it like you only did this because you want to get paid, <laughs> and you may you may get that five year deal, a hundred something mil, and you just ghost us whenever you want. So. We're we going to see how it goes. So just to move off the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics, we can move on to some more playoff uh, game. Before you move on to the playoffs, a major – because I know we said we would talk about – I know we said off camera we talk about the draft if something big yeah. happened. The Tennessee Titans have traded A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Hey, Eagles. I just seen that. That's big. That's – that's so I was on – Lawrence, this uh, Lawrence is one of our mutual friends, his podcast. And I said on his podcast, Philadelphia have been trying to get that Robert Eagle pick right ever since they fucked up and then they didn't draft Justin Jefferson. Ever since they didn't draft Justin and they drafted Jalen, they've been trying to get the wide receiver pick right. And I guess they finally was like, man, we tired of drafting wide receivers. We just go get somebody that's already proven and made. And they went out and got A.J. Brown. Who is a who? Who can be a top tier wide receiver? I'm not gonna sit here and say he's an elite wide receiver like he's top five, but he can be one of those different makers for your team and definitely put you over the top if you got the right pieces around him. He's definitely gonna make life easier for Jalen Hurts going forward. And Smith, Smith didn't have a bad rookie season. Smith is a speedy guy. He had a good season and he can, he can play the opposite side of AJ Brown and they can make things work. The only thing they really have to focus on on the offensive side because the offensive line is always good. The only thing they have to focus on is to run it back. Miles Sanders, he had a breakout season two seasons ago, but this last season he was dealt with a lot of injuries, so he wasn't that same guy. So moving forward, I'm not sure what what, what they're gonna do with that right, with that running back position. Um, but those two wide receivers on the side on the outside with Jalen Hurst throwing him the ball, and Jalen Hurst had to focus on being more accurate because he he he's he's not as accurate as he should be at times. But that's gonna definitely be uh, a sight to see of what they do there. What what, what is your early reactions of, about that trade? It opens up the field a lot more for Devontae Smith for sure. But I want to talk more about the Tennessee Titans side on this because you touched about all the good things for the Eagles. What the hell are they doing? Because you you got Derrick Henry there, and we understand that when he's healthy, he's the best running back in the league. 
But Ryan Tannehill is not one of those dudes at quarterback. And one of the people who could help cover those weaknesses up, he's gone now. You just had Matt Ryan enter your division with the Colts, who all they needed was a consistent quarterback. Because honestly, the Colts had a good shot of making the playoffs last year. I I don't know what's going on in Tennessee right now. I mean, maybe when the draft is over, some things can further be explained about this. But this is a huge move for Philly in a night where the Giants had been dominating the draft with these A-plus picks of Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. Those are good foundational pieces for that team going forward. I don't know what the Washington Commanders are really doing right now, just simply because they got some missing pieces too. But I believe this makes the NFC East a lot more interesting going forward so, compared so to that, where it is. That kind of brings me to a conversation I've been thinking about a lot lately. So everybody blaming Jacksonville Jaguars and Kristen Kirk for, for starting this kind of ripple effect. But all, all wide receivers want to get their money now. Like all the elite wide receivers are asking for 20 million plus, 30, some 30 million plus. You know what I'm saying? Some are asking for like high end money. And, and I asked the question in the group me, me and you were in, like, at what point do you draw the line as an elite team? So if you have a wide receiver that's coming to you saying they want 27 million plus or 30 million plus, do you pay him that money? Or do you say we have enough foundational pieces to move on and keep and move on without him? Perfect example, the Kansas City Chiefs. Tyreek Evans, I mean Tyreek Hill is a elite, elite wide receiver. Difference maker, he makes Patrick Mahomes' job easy, more easy. But he wanted $30 million. And they was just like, we just cannot afford that. So they sent him to a team that he's not going to be as more as, as, as probably individually he may be successful. But as a team, winning team, he won't be as successful. Devontae Adams, back-to-back NFC championships, he left that because he won his money and he went to um, Las Vegas Raiders and now he got his money. And like – I believe there's a I believe there's a theory behind that Packers decision though, and I'll explain it to you if you want. No, to. I want I definitely want you to. I definitely want you to. So my 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 thing is like being a GM. Like when when where do you draw the line as far as like man, I'm not paying a wide receiver thirty million dollars. Like I'm not paying a wide receiver that much money when we have foundation of when we have a Patrick Mahomes, when we have an Aaron Rodgers, when we have a Tom Brady. We have a elite quarterback who I feel can feel that void. We all make we all put more pressure on him as the quarterback. But I'm not paying a wide receiver. But if I'm a team that's that's kind of slacking in that area, who needs some excitement, who my quarterback may not be that good, and I need a guy to come in and make a difference for him, cool. Same thing with Debo Sams. He's in a winning situation, a team that a foundation of peace, and he wants his money. And obviously, the 49ers don't want to pay him that money, so they're thinking about sending him to the Jets, an organization that has been sucked that sucked for years, but they at least gonna be able to give him thirty million dollars. Like for the wide receivers, NFL football is a dangerous game. It's dangerous. My thing is get your money, man. That's always my slogan: get your money, man. So I say, forget the winning, forget all the other stuff. Get your money especially in football, anything else. So I'm not mad at these players wanting to get their money over winning situations, not, not at all. But for the teams that's deciding to get rid of these wide receivers, they want their money, like, like when, when it, who's going to be that guy 
And I kind of think I got an idea who's going to be the first guy to get the money for the winning organization. I think it's going to be, it won't be for another three years, but I think it's going to be Jamar Chase with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think, I think him and Joe Burrow connection, they just not going to allow Jamar to get away because he won $30 million, probably $35 million when he want to get paid at two, three, two or three years from now. I think he's going to be the first guy to be on the elite team and still get his money. But most of these guys, they can trade it. Like, we haven't we haven't had no elite team pay a quarterback and a wide receiver. We have some elite teams pay the wide receivers, but they haven't paid the quarterback yet. Example, and they're not really an elite team, but they're an example of a team that's been winning, the um, Arizona Cardinals. They paid – D hop, but they just haven't paid hop. I mean, they haven't paid um um Kyler yet. But I think like when it's time to pay Kyler, they gonna make some harsh decisions. They you see they just let they let Kristen Kirk go because they was like, bro, we gotta pay Kyler down the road. We already playing D hop. We cannot pay you eighteen million dollars to be our backup quarter, our, uh, our second wide receiver too. So just what's your thoughts on that? I know this is kind of like a spur of a moment thing because this trade literally just happened, and I feel like this trade only happened. Because AJ Brown wanted to get paid, and the Tennessee Titans said, "We're not paying you twenty-five million plus to be a wide receiver." I'm sorry. So, if like the elite teams are saying we're not doing it, but the teams that struggle to get fans in the seats, that struggle to win it, they got money just laying around because nobody wants to come there. They're opening the, the floodgates to heaven to pay these wide receivers thirty million dollars a year because they like we might as well play them because we don't have an elite quarterback, we don't have an elite defensive player. Why not play this wide receiver thirty million dollars to come be the, the star? Even though we're gonna lose, it's at least gonna look good. It's gonna be box office. So, what's your thoughts on that? So, I'm glad you have gone off on this tangent that you've gone on with this because my thing is this: How important is this wide receiver to my quarterback and my team's success? That's why the Christian Kirk deal didn't make sense to me. Christian Kirk was not changing Kyler's life in Arizona, and I don't think he's gonna do the same thing in Jacksonville. He's a good player, but is he one of those top-tier level elite receivers? At this point, I'm going to say no. I don't like to tell people what they can and can't do or what they can or not capable of. But this is a deal that Jacksonville will be finding itself trying to get out of in about two years probably, if not by the end of next season. Do I think they're going to have an improved team? Yeah, but Christian Kirk isn't the reason I think that. I think they have a better head coach now with Doug Peterson, and it gives Trevor a chance to actually get to develop now as a quarterback the way that he should. But I'm glad you brought up Jamar Chase because you 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 do realize that success that him and Joe Burrow are having is the reason these wide receivers feel so good about themselves right now. Let's just think about this for a second. A lot of us said coming into the NFL draft last year, the Bengals need to take care of Joe Burrow. So you need to go offensive line. Go Pineo Sewell. And they drafted Jamar Chase. And some of us honestly thought, me included, I'm like, you are out of your mind. I'm like, this dude going to get hurt. He's going to get hit again. There's going to be no protection. And we saw the evidence of that in the Super Bowl when it looked like he almost had another devastating knee injury in the fourth quarter of that game. But the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. 
That's the point there. The Bengals were in the Super Bowl. And you and I did a prediction show last year on our AFC North predictions. And neither one of us had the Cincinnati Bengals going to the Super Bowl. We didn't have them going to the playoffs. We had them both finishing in fourth place. We said that we thought they would be more respectable as far as being more competitive, but not on like a real winning trajectory. They leapfrogged all of us and went to the Super Bowl. And a big reason that happened was because of that connection of Jamar Chase to Joe Burrow. So now receivers feel, and they should feel this way, because I'm with you. Get your money. The short life that you will have in the the shelf life that you have in the league, it's short. So you get it as much as you can get it. But also, what about that combination of Stafford to Cooper Cup? How important was that to the Rams' success? So we're starting to see a pattern here of where the success of the wide receivers and the – where the combo of the wide receivers and the quarterbacks is very important, not only to the offense, but the team as a whole. And I'm with you on the Jamar Chase stuff, but I honestly think it can happen a year before him. I think it can happen with Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. Oh, I forgot about Jefferson. I did forget about Jefferson. Now it could happen. They could be, be the ones to pay him $30 million to stay. And let's, and let's talk about the Tyreek Hill thing that you brought up for a second too. The only reason the Chiefs aren't willing to pay him is because they have Travis Kelsey, too. And Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are both as equally as important to that offense as they are to each other. One's going off and the other may be viewed as a decoy. So Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he's a good speedy guy, but he doesn't replace Tyreek Hill. But I trust that the Chiefs are an organization that's smart enough to be able to make good fiscal decisions and to make good personnel decisions that they'll still be okay. They're not going to fall apart and become a lottery team like some people are thinking. And also to the flip side of that, does Tyreek Hill really understand what he's going to go get into it? I mean, and, and all those other weapons they already have in Miami, too. Yeah. I mean, you know you know that I have a theory that Tua won't even be the quarterback in Miami next year because I think that it's going to be Lamar Jackson. So obviously that tells me that Tua's not the guy. So to me, all of this comes down to I'm willing to pay you as long as you are very detrimental or you are very pivotal to the success that we have as a team, as a whole. Yeah, and that's a that's a commitment, though, because when you do that, you're, you're definitely taking away from other positions that you can fill. And, and when teams that do that, they got to be confident in their draft process because the players that they draft, you got to hit on them. It's, it's no – we go. We go. Hope we hit. You gotta hit on at least like if you get seven picks in one draft, you gotta at least hit on half of those picks. You have to hit on at least half of those picks. Your first round pick, your second round pick, and a couple of those late round picks. You gotta hit on those because if you don't, your team's gonna fall apart because you can't allocate fun money to other positions because you're already playing those positions too much money, and um and that and that's just hard to do. So. Um, one thing that I just had pop up on my phone, I want to get your your quick reaction to is that your Pittsburgh Steelers are expected to draft Kenny Pickett. That's that's what's being reported right now is that the Pittsburgh Steelers are expected to draft Kenny Pickett and be that court and be that uh that quarterback for y'all going forward in the future. I expected this pick to happen. I don't believe he'll play much this season. Because I actually have more faith in Mitchell Trubisky than most other people do, because he had a twenty-nine and twenty-one record as a starter for the Chicago Bears. So something went right over there. It was either him or it was Matt Nagy. Now neither one of them are there anymore. 
but they went to the playoffs two times in a three-year period. You don't do that unless it's something that's going right over there. So I do have faith in him. I also have faith in the things that he learned in his one year in Buffalo last year, sitting behind Josh Allen and learning under Brian Dayball as the offensive coordinator. So I believe he brings some good intangibles. And I don't want to say a good winning experience because this is Pittsburgh we're talking about. These are the Steelers. They have six Super Bowls. I'm not saying Mitchell Trubisky is about to change life for the Pittsburgh Steelers and they're going to go get Lombardi number seven. But I believe he'll be a good bridge quarterback for them to have as Pickett continues to grow and develop. And this allows Pickett that proper time to grow and develop. So I like this. But to the point that you were making about wide receivers getting their money, A.J. Brown just got a $100 million deal from the Philadelphia Eagles. It was about the money. I knew it. You're not trading the talent like that. And they was already saying that they was having contract um, discussions. And the TNC Titans looked at the landscape and they said, we don't want to pay a wide receiver $30 million. And I'm not mad at them for saying that, but when you when you when you make the decision, you got to realize where could we go to send him? And they sent him to Philly. Philly's not have they haven't played Hurst yet. They have no big time players on the roster that they're paying like that. So they were just like, why not go get AJ? Pay him that much money. Then when it's time to pay Hurst, we can take care of him in the, uh, two years or so. So I'm not. And not to mention, we don't even know if Hurts is really going to be the guy for them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They may they may be in the quarterback hunt next season in the draft. So. So uh it's it's definitely an interesting situation. So we're gonna we're gonna definitely see what's go what go forward moving this. This this is an interesting draft, man. Um yeah, like all this is coming to us on air as we're recording it and it's and it's pretty cool. But like I said, just speaking of Kitty Pickett situation, I think it's a good pick. I feel like he can't be that guy moving forward for y'all. And um of course he may sit this season or knowing Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin might want to go ahead and put him um out there and play so we're gonna definitely see what go for it so but just to talk about some games that already are set in the eastern conference i'm just gonna ask you a quick preview um if you want to give your full prediction you can or if you just want to talk about the series as a whole is i'm leaving the floor open to you but what are your early thoughts on bucks versus celtics and heat versus philly i'll start with heat versus uh sixers because I, I still got some thinking to do on that Bucks versus Celtics thing after some news that came out earlier today that we all learned about this morning before we even came on to do this broadcast. Um, I believe the Heat win this series in six games, and it's simply because I Joel Embiid's hand is not healthy enough. He mustered up the strength he needed to muster tonight to power them to the win. But that's Toronto, and you're going up against Miami. That's a totally different thing. You're talking about banging down low with dudes like Bam Adebayo. You're going to have Jimmy in your face at times. You're going to have Max Struess and uh, Martin and all of these guys. I mean, you got to give it up for Pat Riley, man, and the Miami Heat organization. We spoke about this earlier, but them and Golden State, they are the class A of what it takes to develop players in the league. They find these players – who, if they were just drafted by any other team or teams that don't really know how to properly develop players, they probably would just be G League players at best, if we're being honest. But they find them and they develop them, and they don't necessarily turn them all into stars, but they turn them into a star for the role that it is that they need them to play. And you just look at what Miami did to Trey Young in that first round series. Let's not get ahead of ourselves on this one. Trey Young is still a very good young player in the league. He's not a superstar, 
but he is still a star in the league. Miami just threw something totally different from them from a defensive standpoint with all the switches they made. I'm pretty sure he hasn't seen anything like that on the NBA level. And you know Miami is going to target that thumb of Joel Embiid. They're going to target that hand. They're going to be swiping at that ball. And Jimmy Butler can't wait to get him a piece of James Harden because Jimmy Butler was supposed to be the guy that James Harden is in Philly right now. But this was a different front office that was running the show when Jimmy Butler became a free agent three years ago and ended up coming to Miami. So I'm going to go heat and six on this one. As far as the Bucks and the Celtics, I'm very excited for the series. But my early predictions tell me that the Celtics win this thing in seven games. Because there will be no Chris Middleton in this series. And even though the Bucks are a lot more well-rounded of a team than the Brooklyn Nets are, the Celtics are a lot more well-rounded than the Chicago Bulls are. And that's not the inconsistent Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan that they're going up against over there with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. No, these dudes have been scratching and clawing and climbing at the door for at least five years now. And it looks like to me they're just about ready to kick that thing wide open. And with Giannis's lack of a perimeter game, and also you, we both feel like Giannis is the best player in the world. But there is one thing that he does that I feel like he has to tone down that he has to get in check. And that's how he will just continually barrel into dudes down the lane. And I'm just like, that's really quick to pick up an offensive foul. And he had 12 offensive fouls in the series against the Chicago Bulls alone. The Celtics are definitely going to use that for an advantage as well. But with everything that the Celtics have, with there being no Chris Middleton, I'm not so sure Milwaukee's going to be able to pull this out. Because one thing I can tell you for a fact, I don't believe Grayson Allen will be doing the things to the Celtics that he was doing to the Bulls in Chicago. They already put it on tape hey, for them. So they'll know how to He was scoring 20 a game in those last three games. Yes. And you you think he's not going to be able to keep that productivity up going into the next game? No. No. Because the Celtics are going to throw Grant Williams on him. They're going to they're gonna throw Pritchard on him. They're going to throw Marcus Smart on him. It's already on tape what they need to do because the evidence is out there because of how Chicago played them and what the Bucks put on tape. And the Celtics are very good at studying film. That's one thing we do know about this team. So I hate to go against Greek. You know I do. You know Giannis is my guy. But with them not having Middleton... I don't see how you're going to be able to fluctuate enough offense to be able to get this done. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I mean, okay. My mind is telling me to agree with your Philly and and the heat pick. But my heart is saying I need Philly to pull it out for James Harden's sake. So I'm going to say that. So I'm going to go with my heart and I'm going to say, and I'm not hedging my bet. So I want people to be like, I'm picking both sides. I'm definitively saying I am going for the Philadelphia 76ers, and I got them winning the series in seven. Um, in the next, in the second game with Boston and um, Bucks, uh, I did an episode with my man Faze. Shout out to Faze. I said I got uh, Bucks losing that series as well in six, but I I didn't know um, I didn't know 
uh Boston had home court advantage in that series, right? Okay. Yeah, so right. I, I knowing not knowing that it got home court, I definitely got Boston winning in seven now. So that's how I see I feel like both series would go seven and I feel like Boston would come out in one and I feel like um I, and I'm hoping 76 to come out in the other one. And we're going to see what happens out west with all those teams out there. But that, those are my predictions as well. And, and it's going to be definitely interesting to see um, what happens. But uh, it's definitely it, – it's, it's, it's getting down to the, the nitty-gritty of the NBA playoffs with only elite teams of the elite teams are, are standing. Like, like now it's getting down to the point where, like, only teams that got, like, top-tier talent, top-tier coaching – are going to make it pass and make it to the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference Finals, and um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. But uh, but yeah, that's that's how I see it right now. Um, I like your picks. Um, we both got Boston winning this series, like you said. Chris Middleton being out is a big factor. That's a huge factor, honestly. Like that, they were out there second best player. Like let's be honest, and they're going against a team that just uh that just beat beat the brakes off the Brooklyn Nets, and maybe maybe we may be overrating the Brooklyn Nets. Considering um, how good Boston looking look against them, we may be just overrating them. But the way the, the the defensive job they did on Kevin Durant can't be um, can't be just pushed aside like it was just a fluke or like they just overrated. Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant regardless of where he plays and who he's with, and they made him a shell of himself. So that's that's one of the biggest like that's one of the biggest like you don't you're not who you say you are moments and i see the NBA history like sometimes we see players and they just are who they are and regardless of the team they may lose but they go lose on they they go down they shield and they go go out swinging like russell westbrook when he went mvp going against the houston rockets he lost but he averaged 40 points a game 10 rebounds a game and like nine assists i mean not 10 assists a game like nine rebounds a game like he went out on his shield. like he was going crazy in that series and to the point you just made about Westbrook, I said this in our group chat the other day. For all the crap we give him, even when he had to carry teams by himself, or when he was the guy that they had to go to, Westbrook never got swept. He's been beat. He's been beaten in five game series now, gentleman sweeps. But like actually getting swept four zero, that's never happened. Yeah, I'm gonna get like AI said. I'm gonna get you one. I'm gonna get you one. So, um, so that's my picks there. So, yeah, man, that's gonna be the uh, that's gonna be the end of this uh episode, man. So, X, dog, we had some interesting intakes, uh, some takes in this one, insights in this one, man, and, and it, it really was nice to finally to get some of this stuff out. So, uh, you definitely, you definitely had me thinking on some stuff that I didn't even see myself. So, it was good to have you back on here. Any any closing remarks before we close out? As always, it's a pleasure to be here. You know I'll be back and running back whenever you Appreciate call. it, man. So thank y'all for listening, man. Thank y'all for tuning in. We appreciate all the listeners. Uh, stay tuned for more episodes to come. Um, like right now, I have my episode out with uh, my NFL draft. You, you make sure you check that out. Uh, my episode with Faze is out. And now this one. Y'all listening. This one's hard. I appreciate y'all listening. So take, stay locked in. Stay listening. We definitely gonna have the X back, and oh, uh, we, we gotta bring the, the, the trio back, the X and Face at the same time. We gotta we gotta do that again, please. Maze, I'm waiting, bro. I'm waiting. Face <laughs> definitely asked about you, so we are gonna have to bring that back soon. So yeah, man. Thank you, X. Uh, appreciate y'all for listening. Um, stay locked in, and peace.